Welcome to the Nordic Food Tech Podcast. On this show, we share the stories of how different actors, up and down the value chain, are working to take climate action through food. It's all about inspiring collaboration, discussing the good that is happening, the challenges we share, and realizing a common vision for our future food system. I'm your host, Annalisa Winther, and let's jump in. So before we get going, I wanted to give a little more background about the conversation you're about to hear. This December 2019, the United Nations Conference of Parties, or COP, is meeting for the 25th time. They are the supreme decision-making body for how the world will fight climate change. Since not everyone can go to the big meet, there are regional satellite events being held throughout the world. In the Nordics, that meeting is happening in Stockholm. To connect the conversations happening in Madrid to Stockholm and to you, the Nordic Food Tech Podcast and the Nordic Council of Ministers have teamed up to do a Taste the Transition podcast series. We'll be hosting a series of conversations with different actors who are taking climate action through food to transition our diets to be more healthy and sustainable. You'll notice that in each conversation, we ask the same series of questions. We invite you to answer these questions yourself on www.nordicfoodtech.io answer. We would love to hear your vision for the future of the food system and how you are taking climate action through food. You can also find the link in the bio for this podcast episode. We'd also love for you to join the conversation on social media. Connect with us by using the hashtag NordicClimateAction. So in this episode, we're going to talk with Marie Person, who is a project officer at the Nordic Council of Ministers Food Policy Lab. The Nordic Food Policy Lab is a project that was launched by the five prime ministers of the Nordic countries in 2017 to curate and share examples of Nordic food policy for health and sustainability. They do this through global partnerships with the aim of meeting the sustainable development goals set out by the UN and to help other nations achieve them too. In this episode, we talk a lot about what is happening within policy across the Nordics. We also discuss the purpose of this series and how we can convene more people to be part of the conversation. Welcome, Marie, to the Nordic Food Tech Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here with you and be collaborating on this project. And I think it's good for listeners, before we explain to them what's going to happen over the next couple of episodes, to say, what is the Nordic Food Policy Lab and why did it get started? So the Nordic Food Policy Lab is a an initiative uh, by the Nordic Prime Ministers um, to really talk about uh, what food policy can do in terms of delivering on Agenda 2030 and the global sustainable development goals. Um, and the idea was to, to put in, in motion a project that could, first of all, uh, transmit some of the lessons learned from the Nordics to a global audience, Um, And secondly, also have some dialogues on some of the very sort of um, difficult conversations, some of the the questions within food policy that are um, not so easy for different actors in the food systems to to agree on. Um, So finding out a way of doing this in what we call policy labs uh, has been one way to, to go. And how does it actually work? What kind of projects do you do? What questions are you asking? What does your day-to-day look like? 
So I think it's divided into into three things. So we do one uh, like country dialogues where we actually bring what we call solutions owners from the different Nordic countries uh, into dialogues uh, with other countries who are interested in some particular areas, such as um, solutions when it comes to reducing food waste or um, how do you actually get the gastronomy sector to play a role and help people find a transition to more healthy and sustainable diets, something interesting. Um, that's something that we have some experience with in the Nordics um, that a lot of countries are interested in understanding how they can work with. Um, but then it's also building on sort of international dialogues that are already taking place um, when it comes to sustainability and food and agriculture and adding on top of them these policy dialogues where we're sometimes bringing in people from the Nordic countries to explain what they have been doing uh, and then using that as a kind of stepping stone to have these um, conversations about new political tools. So in December now we have this COP25 coming up. Can you explain to us what's happening in Stockholm and what your role is within that whole universe? Yeah, so it's really exciting. So we have a climate meeting that is taking place in Madrid, um, and that's a yearly reoccurring thing. It's hosted by the UNFCCC, which is the, the climate secretariat uh, of the UN. Um, and this year, because the original idea was actually that the meeting would take place in Santiago, Chile, because uh, but now because of the unrest there, um, it's been decided that it's going to be moved. Um, but the idea then was to actually create kind of a Nordic backdoor into the conversations and the dialogues that are taking place um, at this climate meeting um, for Nordic citizens. So actually explaining, you know, what is happening, what are these conversations about, and also sort of framing them around some specifically um, sort of Nordic uh, topics um, Nordic dialogues. So it's going to be a lot of different events that take place at Norrsken in Stockholm. Um, there's going to be a lot of different sort of topics covered, everything from the energy transition to talking about agriculture and food um, to talking about youth and youth activism, um, oceans. I mean, we have a range of topics that are going to be covered. And what is the Nordic agenda coming up in all of this? So I think for the Nordics, this is a very important meeting this year because there's a lot of raised ambitions uh, within the Nordic cooperation. Um, the Nordic countries have all, the prime ministers have all signed a, a carbon neutrality declaration saying that we all want to work to be carbon neutral, um, which is a quite ambitious target. And now all of the countries are kind of trying to get to grips with what does this mean for different sectors? Um, and... The, the, the meeting in, in Madrid, of course, but also in the, in the Nordic um, hub in Stockholm is going to be a way to actually get maybe further into these conversations around what does it actually take to create this and to, to implement these plans. Um, and the Nordic region also has a new, or the Nordic cooperation has a new vision that the Nordic region should be the most sustainable region in the world uh, by 2030. Um, that's also obviously a very uh, ambitious goal. But all of these kind of things are now being put in motion where um, we have the politicians who are kind of agreeing in their different ministerial meetings on, on what are the key priorities. Um, and the meetings in Madrid and in Stockholm are ways to really hammer out what does this mean in practice. Can you give us a little bit of a view on the state of the landscape of in, when it comes to reaching these goals? What's been the good news? Where have we progressed? Where have we moved forward? And then what are the obstacles in our way that we really need to be discussing and looking at this time around? 
Yeah. So I think for the Nordic region, I mean, if we look at global comparisons on, for example, Agenda 2030, like a bit more broadly on sustainable development and not just climate, um, the Nordic region is really always turning up at the top. So we're kind of leaders when it comes to a lot of the uh, sustainable development goals. And we're seeing that in, you know, time and time again. But there are certain parts of this kind of... um, yeah, the SDG goals agenda that is is more tricky for the Nordic countries to deliver. And it's mainly to do with sustainable consumption and production. So we have, you know, also with when it comes to food, but in general, our consumption is just very resource intensive. Um, and we're consuming, for example, in Sweden, as if we had four planets. Um, and And so if you look at it from a global comparison, we have very, very sort of high impact uh, consumption levels Um, and especially also when it comes to food so food is actually the place where we have a hard time delivering Uh, we've come quite far when it comes to to some of the agricultural production practices and and things like that and people are really aware that we need to for example reduce food waste uh, which is a very important part of this conversation Um, but when it comes to for example reducing um, animal-based consumption and switching to more plant-based foods that's still a very if you look at the global scale we have a very high for example meat consumption level in the nordic countries so those are all things that we have a lot more work to to do and it's also the kind of tricky political conversations because it has to do with individual choice um and so how can we use like um both hard and soft policy tools to actually create a, a shift uh, a mindset shift perhaps also when it comes to consumption um why do you think we're having such a hard time I think it's because we are used to having a lot of choices. Um, I think that we understand that we're living in one of the richest parts in the world and it just feels like we should be able to consume whatever it is that we want to consume uh, without limits. Um, I think people are making more and more the connection between, you know, the way that we consume, uh, the way that we drive cars and we fly on vacation uh, and the foods that we eat as well. Uh, to, you know, environmental degradation and climate change. It's increasingly being done, but I think that there's this gap between, you know, what we know and what we actually do. Um, So people talk about a kind of, yeah, knowledge action gap. And I think that that is very, very vivid and and very clear here in the Nordics as well. Um, So I think that's also why we need to we need to really kind of think creatively about how we approach this and how we make sure that people actually feel like this is a transition that we want to be a part of. It's not about, you know, limiting the options that are available to people. It's actually about, you know, making sure that it's easier to make the right choice. Um, and it's actually a way for you to live a more, you know, healthier life. Uh, you can increase your well-being. Um and I think that that is where we need a lot of input from other sectors as well, like from the policy policy side. We need to be having more conversations with people who know about the psychology of behavior, um, consumption behavior, for example. So what are the policies that you think we have to look forward to? And it, when it comes to us speaking as one voice as a region, how are we similar and how are we different? So I think... In the Nordics, we have found a lot of common ground in terms of how we approach consumers with different sort of information and communications campaigns around how do you eat a healthy diet. We've been working together on the nutrition side for a very, very long time. So we have a a long track record of of working with what we call the Nordic nutrition recommendations, for example. Um, And it's all about finding, you know, how do you actually, first of all, 
um, get to a common evidence base that everybody is okay with and using uh, independently if you're working in the policy space or if you're a business um, or if you're an NGO promoting, you know, health and and things like that. So just agreeing on the evidence is kind of the basics um, that really kicks off and starts all of the food policy cooperation in the Nordics. I think where we're different uh, has maybe more to do with the agricultural production side, and it's just that we have so different production conditions in the Nordic countries. Um, but that also means that we have some differences in priorities. I mean, Denmark is a very large exporter of agricultural products, for example, um, if you compare to Norway or Sweden. So that means that we are a bit, um, a bit different. Are there any uh, particular policies you see coming up then or that are already in discussion that are being discussed around the 2030 goals and what will need to happen to reach that? Yeah, there's a lot of conversations, actually. And I think that it's, um, as I mentioned before, there's also this, you know, in the rankings, we're seeing that this um, goal of sustainable consumption and production is maybe what we're having the most difficult time with achieving. Uh, so a lot of emphasis is actually placed on that and also including youth in this conversation. What does youth, ha youth have to say, not only as the kind of consumers of the future, but also a really important sort of stakeholder group in this conversation around what are the pathways, um, you know, what is the kind of um, future that they want to have as well. So um, I think just that approach. Um, in terms of what policies that we can be expecting, I think that this is something that is, you know, it's being tackled a bit differently in the different countries. But when it comes to, if we look at the specifics on, on food and sustainability, there's a lot of work that is going on around food waste because that's kind of a, a low-hanging fruit when it comes to sustainable food. Um, it's something that everyone can agree with. It's like a... You know, it makes economic sense um, and so on. Um, I think where we're headed in the conversation right now is perhaps more focused on what is actually a sustainable and a healthy diet. So how do you reduce the climate impact of different consumption or food consumption? Um, and the plant forward diets are the ones that are kind of emerging as the way of ensuring that there's co-benefits. Um, so plant-based diets or plant-forward diets, depending on, on how you use the terms, but um, are, are delivering both when it comes to being more climate-friendly and sustainable um, and also for health. And then there are some, some certain trade-offs in certain areas like fish or nuts and things like that. Um, but I think that there's a very broad kind of agreement um, on the fact that, not to, to say that we need to take away all the meat from the plate, um, but to say that we need a more plant forward approach uh, in any way. Hmm. So in the next couple of episodes, we're going to be interviewing different angles that are helping to inform the policy making decision and are really taking a look at climate action through food. Why is it important for us to even be talking about how you can take climate action through food? I think it's important because it's one of those actions that we take three times a day and where people feel a lot of passion and it's it's in its like essence, it's something very positive. It's kind of what makes us human, right? Uh, what we eat and how we decide to eat and, you know, the communal way that we eat as well, like we actually do it together with people. Um, so I think that that makes it a very good entry point. And then it's also the fact that, you know, food systems are contributing with 30% of total greenhouse gas emissions. So that's a huge chunk of the overall total greenhouse gas emissions that we're emitting um, as societies. 
Um, and this is all the way, you know, through the whole um, food chain. So it's not just, you know, what we put on our plates, but it's also how we use the land. And do we clear rainforest to, to you know, um, have livestock that, that roam around? So it's, um, it's a very important um, topic for, for the climate conversation. Um, and I think the reason to focus on food consumption is because we're seeing that you know, by shifting the demand patterns for certain types of food that are kind of high impact foods, you can actually also change the incentives and change the ways that food is produced. Um, not only here in the Nordics, but, you know, as, as we have a very high uh, impact consumption, we can also actually shift consumption uh, production in other countries. Yes, as you said, it's incredibly fundamental and it's also the nut that we still haven't cracked. So that's why it's exciting to be in the middle of these discussions and getting uh, to be in the room where it's starting to happen. So you spend your day in and out in this conversation, moving between these worlds. What are you hoping that will communicate to different listeners and that they should be taking away from this conversation? I think, first of all, that it is possible to, to kind of use food as a way of changing so that we actually deliver on our climate targets. Um, food is something that is very often forgotten in the climate conversation because it feels like this tricky issue where there's so many different, you know, you know, what is right, what is wrong. There's new messages um, very often coming out. Um, there's also a lot of polarization in the debate. So I think just getting to kind of like a common um, understanding of, of how a sustainable and a healthy diet, what it looks like when you have it on a plate but also seeing how much that is actually being done in this area. And I think that's also why it's interesting to have this series to actually lift some of the voices of the people who are actually driving change and who are inventing, be it new food products or new ways of communicating messages to consumers um, or people who are doing research to really figure out this, you know, what is a sustainable and a healthy diet in the Nordic region and at a global level. I'm just sitting here and nodding my head. I, I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about the voices that we're going to raise. And this is just the beginning. There's so many that need to be heard. But what stories will we be highlighting over the next couple of episodes? So we will have some conversations that are focusing on sustainable gastronomy. So what is the role of a more, um, you know, when we start cooperating um, both between the policy sphere, the gastronomy sphere, uh, you know, different civil society and grassroots movement, what can happen then in terms of creating large scale shifts in food consumption? Um, and how do we actually make it so that people want to be a part of this transition? And I think that's a very kind of key component to, to, um, to making a, a big dent in terms of reducing the climate impacts. Um, we will also hear from researchers from the Stockholm Resilience Center um, who have been doing a lot of research on what is actually the, the sort of, first of all, the planetary boundaries that we need to be respecting. Um, so where, where does the food system and, and food emissions from food, where can we place them in the bigger global uh, sort of, yeah, barriers that we have for food production? Um, and then specifically also looking at the Nordic region. What do we have to do here to actually transition to more sustainable and healthy uh, diets uh, and food production systems? Uh, so taking this both global picture, but also translating that back into the Nordics and the, the Nordic kind of uh, context. 
Um, and we will also hear from from youth. There's a lot of sort of conversations now where we're just feeling a lot of pressure also from the policy side, right? From this new generations that are putting new demands on, on politicians saying that, you know, we are expecting that you deliver um, more ambitious policy to deliver on, on the climate targets that you've set up. And really saying that, you know, at the current level and the current level of ambition is just not enough. Um, so we're really eager to hear what they're expecting. Um, and uh, there's been a lot of conversations in the Nordic countries with youth on this topic as well. So we're eager to hear um, what what they are actually expecting in this in this space. Absolutely. And this whole series is really looking at different threads that intersect with policy, which create the framework for our world. So we've also come up with a series of questions that we're going to be asking everybody to kind of get their take and have this benchmark for understanding where everybody's coming from. So in your case, what is your wish list for change from policymakers? Hmm. So this is a bit, um, because we're working and we're seeing a lot of stuff that is happening in the Nordic countries. Um, We're seeing some policy experimentation. Um, But in terms of concrete policies, I, I think that, you know, it's really, really important that we get consumers to feel like this is, and I'm, I'm repeating myself, but really that to feel that they this is something that actually enables them to live a healthier lifestyle. So really focusing on the ways that the climate smart and healthier diets, where do they intersect so that people feel like there is um, there's a coherent message and it's easy to do the right thing. And uh, you can do that through different measures, but, um, you know, steering consumption through, uh, be it taxes or, or other sort of fiscal policies is one way. Um, but also creating a demand for this, these type of products. Uh, and there we've seen in the Nordics, at least, that it's been really useful to bring in the people from the gastronomy sector to actually help both create the new products, but also drive sort of demand for them and, and ensuring that people know how to cook with them um, and how they can actually replace these more high impact foods that we're talking about. Yeah, when I hear you talking, the word quality keeps coming up for me, that it shouldn't be about sacrifice when we're having this conversation, but about uh, keeping the same or even improving quality of life. And it doesn't have to be a trade-off, which often we can kind of get into these nitpicky debates. Yeah, and I, I think that there's also so much more research that is coming out that is just showing how much sense it makes to switch to a healthier diet also for the planet. And, and likewise, sort of going towards these climate smart diets uh, actually brings so many different health benefits as well. So I think that that's just one important thing to highlight as well, like making sure that, you know, those very broad messages um, do get out there. And then we might need to do some more research when it comes to these like trade off areas. Yeah, completely agree. And I one thing I often see happening is this kind of pendulum swing to a blanket one size fits all generalization. And it is a very nuanced conversation that not only touches a lot of different stakeholders, but also cultures and identities that I think it's important to keep it diverse. That is my greatest wish. And I'm voicing it now that we are able to have a diverse discussion that takes into account many different factors, but also doesn't rely on one solution. I think that's very, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that that's also where this conversation at the global level is going. So we have all of this kind of, 
knowledge that is being produced and all this research evidence and i think now it's the time so that's at the global level um and you know global impact analyses and so on but i think that the the question now is really how do we translate those to different sort of national contexts or regional contexts um and really figuring out what does this mean in terms of different food cultures mm-hmm. um because it's very important to also you know realize that we cannot have like you were saying a one size fits all solution we also know that it's very different depending on what region you're in uh some regions in the world are going to have to increase their meat consumption for example and how do we in our parts of the world kind of take responsibility for that and say that you know this is also a a matter of justice it's also a matter of allowing for them to actually increase their consumption meaning that we might have to do something a bit more radical with our own um consumption for example yes there's not only the global conversation but I think this is also even highlighted in what you were saying about the Nordic voice, how we do speak as one, but when it comes to solutions, it's not one blanket uh, policy. It's going to be localized solutions based off of our different economies and the cultural differences that we do have, even though there's a red thread of similarity. Um, so it, it is really good to just highlight that point. When we talk about the future, what is your vision for the food system in 10 to 15 years? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, my vision for a future food system would be that we have we have a focus on deliciousness um and we've actually moved the needle in terms of making these alternative products the most desirable ones um because i do think that that's kind of where we're it's not that we're lacking energy in that space there's so much things going on but i just think that we need to be thinking more creatively also from the policy side how we actually make that shift happen a lot of things are happening i mean we've heard from your previous podcasts as well of podcast episodes about all of this innovation that is taking place in the in the food industry with with new startups and so on um and i i think that we need yeah, we need some new kind of conversations on on how we actually make this shift happen at the at a large scale, and um, so that would be kind of my 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 one <laughs> main message. What are we missing to get there and to do that? Um, well, I I think that we're missing um, you know people around the table who haven't necessarily always been heard when it comes to food policy. Um, I think that we need more cross-sector dialogue. So we need to be understanding, bringing in insights from, for example, psychology. We need to be much better at understanding these kind of different nudges that you can make so that people actually feel like, oh, but this is actually a choice I want to make. It's not that someone is taking away a choice from me. Um, it's that I'm allowed or I'm I'm being incentivized to... Empowered. Do the, yeah, and empowered as well. Um so I, I think that's that's really one thing, this kind of understanding the new kinds of um, insights that we need for this conversation. Um, and that has to do, of course, with gastronomy. It has to do with uh, people from, you know, psychology and behavioral sciences, um, but also very much sort of a conversation with these people who are actually, you know, creating new kinds of products um, and, and really bridging there. And I... I just have to say that it's really inspiring to see in the Nordic countries how fast things are changing. And I think that this is, you know, maybe one of the ways that the Nordics can inspire the most is actually to showcase how fast food consumption preferences are changing. So we're seeing, you know, among the youth and the millennials that um, up to 30%, it, it ranges from, from the different countries, but up to 30% of the youth are now choosing to be flexitarian. So they're reducing the amount of uh, animal-based 
um, products in their in their diets and they're doing it mainly for you know motivations that have to do with sustainability and climate um, uh, animal welfare but also their own health so this is really kind of like an identity marker as well for a lot of these millennials that they're changing their food consumption to you know showcase who they are but also to really show that they're taking sustainability seriously and they're yeah what what's so cool and what I feel living in this moment of history is that we're really the incubator nations or the pilot nations or the ones that are kind of doing the MVP of what a future society can look like and what it means and what do we need to change but we're we are moving very quickly yeah it is and and I think that that's really inspiring it's also really tricky to measure right because these are you know norms that are changing kind of day by day and we're seeing these influencers who are who we will also actually hear in this podcast coming but who are really sort of showcasing also how how this change can be done in a way that is you know tasty and delicious and you know positive um but yeah, I think that that's one of the kind of main motivations as well, why why I continue working on this issue, because it's actually like we're seeing change and, and change is possible. And I think that that's also very inspiring from a policy perspective to see that things are moving. Uh, it might be, some, you know, a bit slow in some areas, but things are moving. And I just want to make really make sure that I really understood you and that I'm clear. When you talk about hearing the different voices from gastronomy and behavioral psychology, how do you think they need to be heard that they're not being heard now? Well, I think that we need to be better at including them earlier on when we're doing sort of different policy processes, when we're designing outreach, when we're designing communications as food agencies or, or as, you know, yeah, in different campaigning, for example. Um, but perhaps also just having them around the table in these kind of dialogues that we're having now around sustainable and healthy food choices, um, which is what we're trying to do at the Nordic Food Policy Lab is actually to to not just have, you know, uh, bureaucrats and policymakers around the table, but it's actually also about involving new kinds of skills and capacities um, and trying to, to build that as well. Mm, so it's kind of like setting the vision in the beginning and then saying, how can we all use our different skills to get there? Uh, and what much, does yeah. it look like when we put this into practice in reality? Would it fly or would it not fly? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how there's so much that's related to the startup world uh, connected <laughs> in this. Um, one thing that you voiced that I've also heard voiced by many of the guests who have answered these questions is this need for a platform for the entrepreneurs, the researchers, the business, government chefs, everybody to come together and have a dialogue does anything like that exist in the Nordics or do you agree that it's something we need to be creating kind of what do we even have available to us now, if anything? So I do think that we definitely need it and we need it much more. I think the Nordic Food Policy Lab, what we're trying to do is essentially provide that kind of a platform. So it's a more of a neutral broker between different sort of perspectives, both at the policy level, um, but also to try and bring in new insights from other areas and other, other sectors and having this, yeah, cross-sectoral dialogue essentially where you bring in uh, new knowledge uh, from different areas. But it, yeah, I, I agree that it definitely has to happen a lot more and perhaps also at the various national levels because this very often is a national conversation that needs to happen. Um, at the moment, there's also, um, actually run by the Stockholm Resilience Centre, there's national dialogues that are taking place that are using um, 
a, a report that came out that is called the Eat Lancet report that sets out the kind of frame for what is a sustainable uh, and healthy diet. So how do you have a healthy diet within the planetary boundaries? Um, and then there was a Nordic analysis made based on that. Um, and this, these national dialogues are taking that as their point of departure to actually say, how do we move forward based on this um, what are the specifically challenging areas for our country um, when it comes to these different sort of pathways that we could take to transform our food systems? Um, and I think that that's just, it's just been hugely important to, to get all of those actors around the same table um, and starting a conversation. And then, of course, that needs to happen more. Uh, but I think that it's a good, uh, good starting point. For someone that wants to join the conversation, how can they tap into what's happening? Maybe they think their voice should be heard, whatever it is, but how can they join the dialogue that you guys are helping to create? Well, I, I think that the from our side, I mean, we are super excited if people, you know, contact us and want to be part of what it is that we are doing, uh, these different dialogues, etc. Um, so just getting in touch with us. I mean, we're on Twitter as well. So it's at Nordic Food Poll. Um, but I think just in general, having more conversations and, and just being vocal about what are what is it that we like the question that you asked me, what is it that we desire from the future food system? Um, having more of those conversations both around our dinner tables, uh, in our schools, at our workplaces, um, and then lifting them and actually seeing that there is political force behind those conversations and saying, you know, this is also maybe going to influence how I vote. And this is also going to influence, you know, the, the kind of political choices that we make and, and having conversations. Um, because I think that also the policy sphere is really opening up for this. I mean, that they're seeing that there's a huge interest in, you know, using food as a way to take climate action. And oh, yeah. So it's opening up, I think. Food diplomacy is a thing. And for me personally, it's also a lot about telling the good stories because there is so much good work being done and there's a lot to be inspired by. And it just needs to be elevated that there's things you can be proud of and get behind. Um, and I think that's a big part of it, too. But now that you have the mic, what collaborations or things do you have on your personal uh, wish list in terms of people you'd love to contact you or different partnerships you'd like to create anything where you're looking to get wisdom from the crowd good question again um so i i think that one of the things that would be really interesting for us is also to get in touch with people who are actually kind of monitoring this this change in consumption patterns. Uh, we're doing it, of course, at the Nordic level, and we're looking at different sort of metrics and uh, areas. But I think that people who are involved in work that has to do with this, like, how do you create a shift that people want to be part of? So it could be from the, the gastronomy side, or it could be from the you know behavioral sciences side. Um, but looking really at what is happening with food consumption and how are people perceiving of their different choices when it comes to making sustainable food choices um, and also what that what is the kind of policies that they could themselves kind of live with or would be um, okay with taking on board because I think that there's this also perhaps mismatch with we know that a lot of things has to happen in terms of changing consumption uh, changing food consumption but there's very often a, a kind of fear among policymakers that there will be a backlash either from from consumers themselves or from, you know, the business business sector. So just also having more of a conversation around what is it that people are actually OK with in terms of like ambitious policy? What is the kind of policies that we could live with and would be OK with uh, having in our own lives to kind of dictate our 
uh, our food choices. So before we wrap up here, what is a question or something you want to talk about that I have not asked you? Um, I think it's the fact that there's more momentum now in both the global conversation, but also happening now at the Nordic level uh, in terms of adding food to the climate conversation. It's been something that's been very tough to do um, for, for the reasons that I mentioned earlier about policymakers fearing this backlash from consumers and it's it's sort of uh, going towards the individual's own choice and so on um, but I think there's a there's a new sense of momentum also in the negotiations and in the conversations that are taking place um, especially because there was a special report that came out from the IPCC um, that actually looked at land use and it looked at sort of food and diets um, and that just kind of made the case for why this is such an important conversation to be having that we cannot just focus on the kind of technical solutions uh, when it comes to energy transition or or other areas that have been kind of the long uh, long-standing you know main topics of this conversation but it's also really important to look at how do we use land what is it you know in our cons- food consumption patterns that are are affecting how we use land um, so that is a really sort of uh, inspiring thing, I think, just for, for this year and for next year. Um, and it's also probably the conversations that are taking place both in Madrid um, and, and in Stockholm and the other sort of events that will be building on to this climate conversation um, will also help feed into a very big event that is taking place in 2021, which is going to be the, the Global Food Summit, um, which is really a way for the international community to put... Uh, a big focus on sustainable food systems. And I think that that's uh, incredibly encouraging. And just for people who don't know, what is the IPCC? Why why is their report important? Yeah, so that is the the, the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. This is the, the scientific evidence that, that feeds into all of this work for, for all of the governments that are part of this convention. Yeah, so what they say you can't deny. Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of the, the consensus among the scientific community on climate change. I've certainly noticed a difference in the amount of media and press that agriculture and climate has been getting. There's a huge difference there in, um, in what you see people reporting on and how it fits into the conversation. Uh, just wondering for listeners that want to be following this beyond the series and what we talk about now, where can they go after the summit to figure out what happened, what was talked about, and keep being a part of it into 2021 and beyond? So as the Nordic Council of Ministers, we will be doing some write-ups about the the kind of conversations that took place in Stockholm, of course. Um, There's also very, very good uh, sort of um, organizations who are working on kind of gathering the, the, what do you call it, like the results from the negotiations and the conversations in Madrid. Um, So you have, for example, Carbon Brief, who does like really good like wrap-ups from each day. I think it's called IISD as well. They're also doing like really good outreach when it comes to the climate negotiations. Um, And you have Climate Action Network, um, a lot of different. And I I think just also keeping up with, I think this is going to get a lot of um, also press. So just keeping up with regular media updates. And uh, also there's a a hashtag for all of the events that are taking place in uh, in Stockholm. So it's uh, hashtag Nordic Climate uh, Action. Um, and yeah, follow us there for, for updates as well, because we will be having a lot of interesting speakers and events and, and so on during these two weeks. Yes. I'm so excited to see where these dialogues are going to take us. And thank you so much for 
the collaboration and for this conversation today. Thanks to you. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, that's all for today. You can find the show notes and more episodes at nordicfoodtech.io. And if you like what you hear, please be generous and take the time to rate the show or share it on social media. This is all about creating better food solutions, and we can't do that without your help. I'm Annalisa Winther, and let's spread the word about the Nordic food tech ecosystem together. See you next time.